Many of you are, are, are different. I would remind you that the first forum um, introduced the Cultural Heritage Program and presented some major resources within the university for the teaching and research. And the last one will invite leaders of national and international organizations to join us in developing it. The central four fora are themed around globalization, technology, law, and commerce. Globalization, um, last week's theme, showed how interaction between cultures has, <coughs> excuse me, has taken place since antiquity and could often result in enrichment. Of course, in antiquity, um, people moved very slowly and cultural differences could be assimilated over time. From the mid-19th century, new technologies accelerated the pace of change and it probably surprises you to learn that cultural heritage was among the first to be affected. Steam engines transported people swiftly and photography enabled them to make accurate um, copies of what they saw. And I give only one example, but it's a very good one. As the British laid the lines for the railroad in India, they uncovered the subcontinent's past. To record their discoveries, they established the Archaeological Survey of India. That was more than 150 years ago, and it's about 20 years before the first archaeological schools or institutes that are so very well known today in the West were established in Greece. For most of the 20th century, a relatively small percentage of predominantly Europeans and Americans privileged by education and finance, traveled the world and consumed cultural heritage. The development of the internet as a defense network from the mid-century had no impact uh, whatsoever um, because it belonged to science, uh, to experts. But the birth of the World Wide Web, roughly 20 years ago, brought a digital world to virtually everyone. Because cultural heritage is the human past, the web's potential to advance and disseminate knowledge is very great. Today, telecommunication companies can reach even very remote regions, and the cost of computers, of tablets, mobile phones, all continue to fall. So unlike technologies of the past, this one is not elitist the potential benefits for developing countries which are often very rich in cultural heritage are very great. Not only can they play an active role, they can even leapfrog developed countries. They can benefit from decades of research into protocols for international standards, and they can use the very latest means of text and image capture and dissemination. Again, I see uh, many opportunities for uh, collaboration. The Cultural Heritage Program wishes to lead by example. Uh, the website uses open source software. We do this 
to encourage museums and cultural heritage organizations to see the benefits of using software that is free and available to anyone with an internet connection. I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank Andrew Pfeffen and to thank Dave Dror and the university's e-research center for supporting uh, the cultural heritage program and indeed for supporting another one, which I will find for you. Claros um, exemplifies the principles of open uh, linked data, and it works with cultural heritage organizations to make their data interoperable. With 25 terabytes of European mapped to international standards, it's now promoting collaborations in India, China, Taiwan, and elsewhere. Claros also exemplifies a collaboration between the arts and the sciences. And I think there really can be no better example of this than me, uh, a humanist, uh, an archaeologist, an art historian, um, working with Anne and Dave and all of our uh, speakers today. They're remarkably tolerant of my lack of technical expertise and wonderfully willing uh, to promote uh, the projects. Before handing over to Anne, I'd like to remind you that all the presentations are short. We do that purposely to um, allow time for discussion. I'd also like to reassure you um, that the discussion is not podcast, so you may speak freely. <laughs> 